0: My name is Ryan. It's good to be with you all, and um, well, I'll say it: the 10:30 service wins. So you can you can congratulate yourselves on that. Uh, good to see so many faces this morning. If you brought a Bible, go ahead and open it to the Book of Acts, chapter 13. I'm going to be reading selected passages in your bulletin there—not all of those, but most of them—and um, by way of scriptural introduction, we come to a very pivotal point in the Book of Acts. For Luke, uh, in that from this point forward, the, the majority of what uh, we will be reading about is the gospel being sent to the Gentiles, primarily, primarily through Paul and uh, Barnabas here uh, in this section. So um, this, is, this is where we're turning. The context for what I'm about to read really comes to us from the end of chapter 11 in verses 19 to 30 and a quick summary there where we receive this report of these converts coming from this place, this town of Antioch. And uh, Antioch, outside of Jerusalem, sort of recognizes the first Gentile church. And so these reports of these converts were coming. And so Jerusalem had to find out about this. So they send Barnabas to Antioch. And he goes there and he sees what's going on and he is thrilled. He's overwhelmed with what, what, what the Lord is doing. And so what does he do? He goes to Tarsus to find a guy named Saul, whom we haven't heard of since chapter 9 in his conversion, who will be named Paul. And he brings him back to Antioch. And for a year, we're told, they stay there with, that, with those believers, with that church, um, teaching, leading, supporting whatever they were doing there. And it's from there that that the that, the that, that, Jerusalem, sort of maybe like you think about as the headquarters for the, for the Christian movement, Christian, Christian church at this point, finds it uh, good to send these two then on into Gentile territory further east, or further west, excuse me, from Antioch. And that's where we pick up this morning. So with that, um, let's give our attention to the reading of God's word found in Acts chapter 13. I'll, I'll begin in verse 1 and then uh, navigate us through this as we go. Verse 1. Now there, there were in the church of, at Antioch prophets and teachers Barnabas, Simeon, who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Going down to verse thirteen. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Panthelia. And John, who is also Mark from the Gospel of Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. And for about 40 years, he, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whom, of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Verse 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, which would be the Gentiles, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. Verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come true, should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue uh, broke up, many Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, be with us now. Uh, Give us your spirit uh, that you would open our eyes and our ears to see and hear things otherwise we could not. We desperately need you to teach us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the question that I have for us this morning and what I want you to walk away with, we're just going to start there, is that what is it that makes you worthy of eternal life? So if you've been in the church, you, you call yourself a Christian, you know, that would be familiar language. What makes you worthy of salvation? What makes you worthy of the forgiveness of sins that God offers? What makes you worthy of salvation, eternal life, those kinds of things? Well, this is the dominant question for Paul in this, what, I'm, what we would refer to as the doctrine of justification, that we begin to see the building blocks for here in this sermon that Luke gives us. This is Paul's first sermon. And the answer to that question of what makes us worthy, which is what the doctrine of justification is, is that what, you, what makes you worthy of salvation, you're only worthy of salvation, I'll put it that way, because Christ makes you worthy. You are only worthy of forgiveness of sins because Christ makes you worthy of that forgiveness, of that salvation. And see, the question that Paul presents here, which will be our question and for any that come after us and before us, of course, too. This has been their question because what we tend to do is we tend to take um, aspects of our life the things that we like to prop ourselves up with that we think make us worthy and we tend to bring those into scripture, bring those to God and say, God, does this not make me worthy? We point at these things and we say, does this not justify us? Whether it is your marriage, whether it is your children, your job, your education, your looks, right? Your athleticism, whatever it is, the tendency throughout all of human history is to take those things and say, this is what makes me worthy. And to bring those then to Scripture, right, is what we call bad theology. Is then to think the same, that God would then deem me worthy because of these same things. And what Paul will show us here in this text, what I want us to see, is that the only thing that makes you worthy is Jesus. And that actually what the Bible wants to do to us is it wants us to understand and rest in this justification by faith alone. And then from that starting point, send us out into the world, into our marriages, our families, our kids, our jobs, our work, our school, whatever it is. Being deemed worthy by nothing else first but Jesus Christ. And that's what I want you to walk away with. That is what I want us to see here As we look at Paul's first missionary journey, and I didn't say this in the first service, so extra bonus for y'all. I would encourage you, especially the children here, to go home tonight, sometime today, and look at a map of the first journey for Paul and Barnabas here. And just look at all the places he went to and the distances that it took him. That would be a good thing to do after the service. To this end, though, I want us to look at two points, um, and that is, you see those in your bulletin. What is this message, then? What is this message that Paul proclaims, and uh, who is this message for? As we look at this first missionary journey, but specifically this first sermon of Paul's to the Gentiles. Okay, so let's start with that first one. What is this message? In this first sermon of Paul's that is recorded by Luke, we have an almost, and you might have recognized this, identical sermon from Peter, uh, from his sermon that he gave to us at Pentecost in chapter 2. And that shouldn't necessarily alarm us. Paul um, and, and or any of the apostles, right? They're not trying to be innovators here. They are, as one commentary puts it, declaring only what God had promised in Scripture and had now fulfilled in Jesus. So you would agree that it's actually good that there isn't a whole lot of difference between Paul's message and Peter's message, right? Well, what was that? What was that then? That God had promised and has been now fulfilled in Jesus. What? was that according to the text. As, we, as was true with Peter's sermon in verses 16 to 25 of chapter 13 here, Paul begins with the Old Testament and a brief historical overview of Israel from the patriarchs to David. Right? It is a sermon for Jewish listeners for sure. Later we will look at Paul and see how he addresses just specifically Gentile Ears. Uh, and the language that he uses there is much different, and I will draw your attention to that in the coming weeks. And no less though than seven verses, however, Paul has already gotten to Jesus. And we see that in verse 23, which he states: A Savior has been given to you as God promised. As in his name is Jesus. In other words, as with Peter, Paul shares right, the Jewish expectation that all um, of what we would call the Old Testament, right, it promises and it anticipates a Messiah or Christ who would, as one theologian writes, puts the world to rights, who will come and vindicate uh, God and vindicate his people by putting the world to rights. For centuries, Jews debated what this would actually look like. Would it be a military victory putting God's people on top of the power structures of the world and thus vindicating his own name in that way? What no one did see was that it would be God himself and Jesus Christ saving or putting the world to rights by dying for the world and its sin. That's where Paul is by verse 23 from 26 to, 30, 26 to 37 then, Paul moves directly into what Jesus accomplished in his death and resurrection, right? Again, we're starting. We're, we're way up there right now at this point. How Jerusalem killed him, we read again, as Peter had noted. But God raised him up from the dead. How for many days the resurrected Jesus appeared to many and are now, quote, the witnesses to the people, verse 32. And we bring you, he says, the good news, That what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. In other words, friends, the good news is that God has finally acted as promised in Jesus Christ. That's his message. This is what God had promised, a Savior to come in the line of David who, who was and is Jesus Christ. But what did this promise actually promise? It's all great and good that Jesus is here, um, that God fulfilled that promise. But what did that promise promise us? What was that? Well, what this promise actually promised, Paul tells us in verse 38 and 39, which I would encourage you to highlight, which I would say is actually the heart of the sermon. And that is this. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed or justified. That's what that word also means. From everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. That is the message. Whether you are looking for it or not, right? is that the forgiveness of sins from God is now possible. It is now available. It is a freedom, as Paul calls it, or a justification that is now available to you from God himself, that which cannot come from observing the law, but only through the blood of the Lamb by Jesus himself. This is the message. This is what we call the gospel. In these two verses plus verse 43, we read of what will become Paul's primary message to those in the Galatia region. Two to three months after this journey, Paul will pen the book of Galatians. And you will read about five major things, both in that book, but also uh, in, in his book to the Romans, and everybody in between. And that is, you will read about sin, you will read about faith or belief, you will read about justification, law, and grace. And it's all right here. They are the chief cornerstones, as I said, of Paul's ministry, moving forward as Christ's, quote, chosen instrument because they are the message of Christ himself. Why? Because this is the continuation of Jesus's ministry. He has ascended. He has given us his spirit. And we are seeing before our very eyes in the book of Acts as evidence today in Fort Worth in 2020 that Jesus is still at work. Right, Still uh, orchestrating his plans, uh, sending out his people, sending out his spirit, bringing those underneath the governance of his own kingdom. Bringing those to faith in his gospel. And we should not overlook that what is happening then on the pages of Acts in chapter 13 is in some ways, and in one sense, the very beginning of what you and I are all beneficiaries of here if we call ourselves Christians, because in order for the gospel to get here in Fort Worth in 2020, it had to start here, going to the Galatian region, right? taking it to places that, 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 that people would think you're crazy for even considering going there. And so we begin to see our own roots, if you will, in one sense, as Paul and Barnabas go, because if they don't go, none of us are here this morning in one sense. But this is God's plan. First to the Jews, then to the Gentiles, to the world. But it wouldn't be just so that people would go and proclaim the freedoms of this message. It would be with the hope that we would receive it. And not just receive it, but believe it. Because it's true. This is the message. Forgiveness from God for sins is now possible. It is by justification. Your freedom is brought to you by justification in this one person Jesus. Now let's look at who this message is for. That's the second point there in your bulletin. So who is this message for, according to this text? Well, this message is for anyone or all who are worthy. And there's that word again, worthy. What does that mean? Well, As I said earlier, what the gospel message says is that because of justification by faith alone, you have been made worthy, not by your own doing, not because of your own merit, but because of Christ, because of Jesus' blood, because he has actually made you worthy to receive this news. By contrast... It is those that who reject or ignore this message who deem themselves quote unworthy of the gospel. Did you notice that in the text? Look again at verse 45 and 46 with me. This is important. The next week the whole town showed up as we read to hear Paul and Barnabas. But verse 45, the Jews saw the crowds and were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul reviling him. Then verse 46, and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. In other words, those worthy. To receive this message are not those who are rich or poor, powerful or weak, Jew or Gentile, but they are those willing to listen, to take it in and and accept the implications of this message, the grace that is in it and the power behind it as it is received in faith. In other words, it is those willing to accept the free gift that justification for your sins has been made for you in Christ is And that, friends, is a message for anyone. So let's take this a step further for the remainder of our time. Perhaps maybe even what what Paul and Barnabas were doing in Antioch for that year before they set sail to go to the Galatia region. What they might have been doing with those converts, and that is working through the implications of this doctrine, of this gospel, this faith uh, that we call Christianity. And to do that, and I would encourage you to to, to think about using this yourself, I want to use just those five cornerstones, as I mentioned, that we saw in verse 38 to 39. Sin, faith, justification, law, grace. As some of the cornerstones, not some, but the cornerstones for how we derive implications for what it means to receive this message. And I would argue that if you are not a believer in this room, this is certainly good for you. But I would certainly argue that if you are a believer, this is especially good for you to revisit, to dig into some of the claims that you have professed before, but perhaps have not yourself worked out those implications. Because as we will see at the end of this, and as we read in this text, the danger of this message is that it has gone forward. You have heard it. And for those who would reject it, reject it do what? Deem themselves unworthy of eternal life. So let us begin with the first implications, with what time we have remaining. Let's start with sin. Possibly the foundation for anything that you might believe about Christianity. For those whom this message is for, have you come to the terms with the reality that sin is real? And that it has affected you, it has affected your loved ones, it has affected all those around you and enti- and, and, and along with the entire creation itself. But first and foremost, is it a reality for you that sin has not just affected those things, but first and foremost has affected God himself? And your relationship has been broken and, and, and separated because of, because of your sin. Have you seen that part of that sinful nature in your own self is what actually drives you to be who you are today? Or to be the person you think that others want you to be, which implies that your motives, your emotions, your desires, the way you think about yourself, others in this world—all of that too—is in, is infected, affected by sin. Which means then that you can't what fix yourself according to this message. You do not have the tools, the capability inside of you to deal with what is wrong. And so therefore, what? Um, you're, you're only dependent upon something outside of yourself to come in. But what do we do? We, we feel like we can look internally. We can get inside. We can believe in who we are. We can, we can try harder. But what this is saying is we draw out these implications is that no, you cannot. And As a matter of fact, you are 100% dependent upon somebody outside of yourself coming in. To rescue you. And according to Paul here in chapter 13, who came to you? This is the promise, y'all. Jesus. Jesus came to you. So it 's sin real for you? What is it? And what has it done? Those are great places for you to, to start as you consider what it would look like to receive this message that has been proclaimed. Next, we'll look at faith as Paul does. Right? And he'll go on to talk about these for the rest of his ministry. But the Bible only asks you to believe in this Jesus to receive its benefits. It's startling because why? Anyone can believe. It doesn't matter of your class. It doesn't matter of your education. It doesn't matter of, you know, any level of wealth or whatever it might be. The gospel cares nothing of those things, which is why Christianity spread so fast in the early centuries and even, even today in other parts of this world. Because it was available to all. Rich, poor, male, female, Jew, Gentile. The challenge of faith, however, then for us is that it requires what? Disarmament from ourselves, namely our pride. That we actually can fix ourselves or make ourselves worthy. Worthy. That is, it's not your niceness or personality that makes you worthy of this God. It's not your creativity or your your uniqueness, as awesome as that is. It's not the multi-million dollar company you built by age 28 and sold for a billion by age 39. It's not even a lifetime of doing the best you can or being a good person. Accepting the message of freedom requires you to lay down all of those things, your best qualities, and receive the gift by what? By faith. A gift that has nothing to do with you and everything to do with Jesus and what he has done for you, which is why, one of the reasons, we come in here and worship him. For that very reason. We celebrate his work on our behalf. Can you disarm? That's an implication of this gospel. This was required of the Gentiles, the Jews first. Can you disarm? Can you lay down the trophies that you, you know, as it were, that you collect and hold on to, to point to and say, God, this is what makes me worthy. This is what justifies me. Is it enough? To do so requires a brokenness and a humility that comes from what? Recognizing your sin in the first place. That's a great place to start, too. Another implication, the gospel gives us meaning like nothing else because it aligns our hearts with what we were created for in the first place to be in relationship with God himself. For Paul, the law still matters. Though Jesus justifies you from it, which means you are no longer condemned by it, which is wonderful because Jesus' death and resurrection for you is enough. It is sufficient You are no longer condemned, but what you do, though, friends, still matters because of who you now belong to. You've been bought. You belong to Christ. We live for him, not ourselves. Therefore, you cannot hear this message, receive it in faith, and not be changed and go on being changed, relatively speaking. It's impossible. It would be as if somebody came into this this room and said, COVID-19 is gone. It's over. It's over. Take off your mask and go on and live your life as you normally would. It would be like hearing that message and it having no effect on you whatsoever. How could you hear it and not be changed? How could you hear it and not go on living your life the way that you were created to? The only way is to not really hear it, isn't it? It's to reject it altogether, judging yourself unworthy then of a life that awaits a COVID-19 free world. Look, I don't have to tell you this this morning. We weren't created to wear masks. We weren't created to relate to each other through screens. We were created to be in relationship. Primarily with God himself. That's the freedom the gospel offers that we are no longer slaves to living for for ourselves but are now servants belonging to jesus and in this way the gospel gives our lives what incredible meaning like nothing else can like like your job can't do like your marriage can't do like your kids can't do your education whatever it is nothing can give you meaning like this but this message but this gospel because it aligns our hearts with what we were created for in the first place to be in a relationship with him That's the promise that's been given to you. That relationship is now available. When we couple all of these things together, what Paul will spend the rest of his life teaching, it means you and I come to the cross the same way. Dependent on what another must do for us. My money, my status, your money, your status, your class, color, nothing gives me an advantage. All my accolades I lay down at the foot of the cross. They do me no good here. Only the accolades of one, Jesus. Our freedom then, our justification then, is 100% dependent on what Jesus did for you, not what you have done or will ever do for him. Which is why we call this message a message of grace in the first place. We get something we did not earn ourselves. Or to put it another way, we are found worthy Not because of something we have done, but only because of what Christ has done for us. Which, as I said earlier, makes this message so dangerous. Because you have heard it. To hear it, though, and not receive it is for you to judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. What then, I'll ask, would it look like for you to receive this message by faith, even if it's for the first time? Take a step in that direction. Ask a question. Meet with somebody. But judging the room for a second, what does it look like to keep on receiving this message of grace as well? Because what the doctrines of grace are, right? the, The doctrines of justification says this. Like, you are brought into this house by nothing other than the work of Jesus Christ. That is grace. And a lot of times we think growing up in the church, I heard it and that's it. It's to be brought into right, the, the entrance of a mansion and never explore the rest of the house. And what Christianity really is, is a lifelong relationship with God, exploring a house you will never exhaust. Experiencing new things because grace is new What every morning. His mercies are new every day. Why would we settle for anything less? What would it look like to receive this message by faith? by faith? But what also would it look like to continue and to keep on receiving this message of grace to plumb its depths for the rest of your life? And here is all of our starting points and where I will land this plane. I wanted you to think about Paul's journey here. And as I said earlier, go track, go trace his journey. This is the first one. It's the shortest of them. So think about this in terms, too, of his other two that he's going to do. Him and Barnabas, hundreds of miles of travel. The terrain, I don't know how they did it. There's elevation changes of 3,500 feet. Mark leaves. He bails, right? And we're going to hear about this later in chapter 15. Paul's not happy. As a matter of fact, he's not so happy, unhappy with them, he will not go on another trip with them. right? So it'll be Paul and Silas and Barnabas and, and Mark. They're related too, so maybe that has something to do with it. We don't know why Mark left, but I guarantee you some of it had to do with just how... Incredibly difficult this is. Continuing along the way, Paul will get an illness. We'll, he'll talk about that in chapter 4 of Galatians. An illness that almost kills him. He'll experience persecution so much that it'll drive him out of this area, and he'll just go to two other towns, right? All expressing joy in the gospel. <laughs> Why does Paul do this? Why do any of these apostles, any Christians for that matter up until today, why do we do this? Because Paul knows that all of these people, the Gentile world, are worthy of this gospel message. He believes that. And they, like us today, are worthy because Jesus has declared them worthy by his finished work on the cross. So he goes. Their refusal Marks their unworthiness according to the scriptures. This grace is what drives Paul. And I don't want you to miss that from here on to the end of this book. There is something about the gospel message that causes Paul and causes us to what? To lose ourselves for the sake of others. Somebody lost themselves for the sake of you. I guarantee you have that person in your life. And the gospel calls us to do the same. Why? Because Paul, like you, hopefully are convinced that what makes yourselves worthy is nothing you've done but all of what Christ has done for you. That's the blood of Jesus. To the, the, the degree that that is true for us in this place, right, that you are worthy because Jesus has made you worthy, is the degree that we too will lose ourselves for the sake of others. And so that's my prayer and hope for us as we leave here this morning, uh, as we, 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 we end our, our sermon time, right? That we would be a place that would lose itself for the sake of the gospel because we know why we're worthy, which means we know why others are worthy too, because Jesus has made them worthy. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can even read in such detail this message, um, this journey that your appointed men went on, Paul and Barnabas. Um, and you did it because you thought of us. You thought of your children here in 2020 at Fort Worth Pres, a little church here um, in Texas. That is startling. I, I, I don't even know where to begin. I pray, Lo, that you would use that message of grace in our own hearts to continue to change us, to continue to make us lovers of your grace, that we would never stop exploring the implications of what it means to be and to receive the recipients of your gospel. But that it wouldn't stop there, that we would then, in fact, that would be the reason why we would go and lose ourselves for others. Because we know that they are made worthy the same way we are by your blood. Would you do this for your glory, we pray. Amen.